Welcome to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Downs. I'm a fourth grade teacher, PhD student at Utah State University, and someone who just wants to know more about reading. This podcast is about bridging literacy research into practice. Every episode, you'll hear from a literacy researcher about their work, why it matters, and how to turn it into practice in your classroom. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Here we are, 15 episodes in. I hope this episode finds you healthy and well, and I certainly hope that your teaching has thrived in spite of ongoing current events. I'm super excited for today's episode. It's becoming clear that we're in the middle of a landmark event for education worldwide. COVID-19, it's forced us all to turn on a dime, and we migrated all of our instruction online in, in a very short amount of time. And if that describes you in any way, you deserve a pat on the back. It was a monumental task, and in most cases, we were doing that in less than 100 hours. In the past few weeks, a few things have become apparent. One, as we've been doing this for a few months now, teachers have been able to come up for air, at least a little bit, and have a bit more mental bandwidth to see how their online instruction is going, identify strengths, identify weaknesses, and see how it can be improved. And number two is it started to sink in that what we've actually been doing for the last few months may not just be a blip on the radar, but actually be a dress rehearsal for what's to come in the fall. So as educators everywhere are thinking deeply about how they can best support their students during COVID-19, the next logical question becomes, how can I be a better teacher using remote methods? My guest today can help you make that happen. His name is Matt Miller, and he's an author, speaker, podcaster, and Google certified innovator. As a top influencer in the ed tech world, he works to support teachers to deliver effective instruction. Matt joins me on the podcast today to discuss material from a free course he recently developed called Remote Learning 101. Matt and I have a great conversation about the move online, delivered in quality instruction, learning management systems, and how to support students with slow or no internet. It's a great conversation full of tidbits to take with you back to your classroom. I finished the course. I really enjoyed doing the course. I think Matt's got some great material up there. So this is a snippet of the overall course, but of course, go and check out his Remote Learning 101 course, and we talk about how to get there on the podcast. It's also in the show notes. After the show, you can stick around for my two cents on the topic. Matt Miller, welcome to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Thank you so much, Jake. I'm excited to be here. Appreciate you having me on. You're an author, speaker, and a bit of a mover and shaker in the ed tech world, but you also used to be a classroom teacher. So I'm curious to know a little bit about your history and what brought you from teaching the classroom to helping influence educational technology in the classroom. Yeah, absolutely. I think it all started just because I was someone who enjoyed using technology in my own classroom because I taught high school Spanish, all levels of high school Spanish for about 11 years. And from the very beginning, I was trying to find ways to incorporate technology. For instance, my very first classroom, 
I just had a teacher computer and that was it. And I was the guy who was checking out the, the computer lab like way more than everybody else. Eventually, I ended up begging and borrowing for, you know, a VCR and a DVD player and a projector. So I had my little multimedia cart and like little by little, I kept adding to it just because I saw the potential in it and you know, how I was able to do some things that, that I couldn't do otherwise. And so when I finally got to a classroom with a whole class set of Chromebooks, that really sort of took things off. That's really where a lot of it has come from was just being in a classroom, trying things out, see what works, see what doesn't work. And then on my blog, I just sort of shared my journey and my resources and everything. And it all sort of took off from there, I guess. So the rest is history, I suppose. You just came out with Tech Like a Pirate, and then you, you mm -hmm. blog and you podcast. What are you trying to do to help teachers in the classroom? My goal really is to help teachers to do meaningful instruction, you know, meaningful teaching and learning with technology and even without technology. The big thing is I know that teachers are so strapped for time. I know that because I've been a teacher strapped for time. We have so many things on our plate, so many things asked of us, and then just trying to improve our practice and make instructional materials is so time consuming. For the longest time, I've just thought if I can share what I'm doing and if I can share things that teachers can start using, you know, practical things they can start using in class right away, that maybe I can help them do some things that they wouldn't be able to otherwise. And I found that whenever that happens, then kids end up benefiting in the end. And that's, that's kind of the, the end goal right there. That's the big goal. Something that I've appreciated about your work, Matt, is how pragmatic for teachers that it, 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 it treads a nice line between being super prescriptive of do it exactly like this and being so abstract that it's not, it's not useful. So that's, I think, uh, very helpful for teachers is, is, is the scope that you're bringing to it. Today, we're talking about an e-learning course that you developed called Remote Learning 101. I'm sure you just like everybody else that COVID-19 happened and it just was this wave of everything moving online and and you've produced this course and it's it's 14 modules, it's 100% free. I'm nearly done with the course, but um, I'm really excited to be talking about some of the content in there and the ideas and hopefully we can direct teachers to go and check out that awesome resource. When COVID-19 hit, everything happened so fast. Can you give us a snapshot of, from your view, what were teachers and schools going through as they were trying to mass migrate everything online in a very short amount of time? What were they trying to balance? Set the scene for us. I think you, you sort of put your finger on it right there. Mass migrate in a short amount of time. The word that I was going to use was panic. Um, <laughs> or at least I think that's the way it, it was for, you know, a lot of us. Um, there are, you know, were a handful of people that were doing some online teaching or did a lot of stuff with technology and it wasn't quite so widespread panic for them. But I think for a lot of people, um, you know, we had gotten so familiar and comfortable with our face-to-face day-to-day classrooms. And when all of that was thrown under the bus, so to speak, and, you know, we had to, we had to try things in a, a very different way. It was obviously tough. I think of it almost, if you want to, if you use sort of an analogy, it's like we were riding in a boat in choppy water and somebody threw us into the lake. And so the first thing that happens when you get thrown into the lake is you go underwater and you can't breathe. And the, the first goal there is to try to get back to the surface of the water. And so I think for that first week or two, everybody was trying to figure out how am I going to get ready for Monday? 
And then Monday would hit and it would just be like, how am I going to get ready for Tuesday? Trying to figure out, can I do the things that I did before online? And if not, what am I going to do instead? I just have to get something up for Monday. That was the first part. And then once we got that question answered, it was like getting to the surface of the water. And now we can take that big (gasps) gasp of air. After we did that, it's a matter of looking around and trying to figure out where we're going to swim to. And so at that point, we're going, does this seem to work? Is it sustainable? What could I do instead? We're getting to the point now for a lot of people where we've gotten back up to the surface of the water and we're starting to swim towards land, so to speak. We've got a little bit of a direction and we may kind of course correct. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that this is that this is the case because I saw the um, traffic on my blog where I have lots of resources about using technology my traffic like tripled or quadrupled in a matter of a week. I'm still seeing record traffic because people are just looking for answers. They're looking for ideas. They're looking for things that they can plug in. So I think that's that's kind of the route that we're going. And if we're going to finish this analogy out, I don't think that we actually get to land until, this is just me, not based on anything in particular, but I don't think we get to land until there's a widespread vaccine available all around the world. Again, just me making a guess, I'm guessing that, you know, we'll have flare ups with the virus and it'll kind of come and go and we may bounce back and forth between remote learning and hybrid face to face remote learning for the next year or so. So I think we're continually going to be going this route. When all this happened, there seemed to be just this deluge of information and resources that came from it. You know, right. Everyone just seemed to all of a sudden be an, an expert with ed tech. What mindsets do you think can help teachers, you know, navigate all of these uncharted waters and and being able to be immersed online? I think there's a handful of things that if we keep them in mind, I think that no matter what remote learning looks like or hybrid learning or whatever, um, I think we'll be in, in at least relatively good shape. One of them is just something as simple as keeping your priorities in place. You know, a lot of times it's easy whenever we're in that panic mode, we're putting out fires, right? There's a fire, I've got to go put it out. There's a fire, I've got to go put it out. But once we get to a point where there aren't fires burning anymore, we can step back and look around and go, okay, what are my priorities? If we're going to get into this whole new environment, what are the must-haves? What are the non-negotiables? For me, if I were to throw myself back into a high school Spanish class and try to teach remotely, I'd like to say that some of my non-negotiables would be A, um, to keep my students' well-being first and foremost, you know, their their safety and their emotional well-being and the relationships that I've built with them. And then number two, to help them develop fluency in the language. You know, if we can get to A, then we can go to B. Keeping that at the forefront is huge. I'm even a big proponent of taking like a three by five card or a sticky note and writing those priorities down and putting them someplace where you'll see them. Like, for instance, um, you know, at my desk, I've got a computer and I've got a monitor and anything that is important that I don't want to forget. I put a sticky note at the bottom of that monitor because I see it all the time. I could see doing something just as simple as that to keep the priorities in mind. Like that's your compass, your north that you're trying to continue to go on. There's that. And I'll give you one more. I think we also need to think about what some of the limitations are to all of this. It's so easy to get frustrated and down about the limitations, 
But I think if we can accept them as reality and go, okay, now that we know that these are the limitations, let's just operate within this as best as we can. So for instance, in the school district where my kids go to school and where my wife teaches, it's a pretty poor rural school district here in the middle of nowhere in Indiana. If kids have access to internet, it's not very good. The school has been thinking about how can we do things online? And if we do, how can we optimize them for slow internet connections? But then also, if kids don't have access to the internet, what does that look like and how can we provide for that as best as possible? That's just a, a beginning of the limitations. But I think if we start to put ourselves in the shoes of our students, because especially if we've already built a relationship when we know some about our students and our community, we're in a good place to, to do that and to start to think, what are some of those limitations and how can I do my best to live within those instead of just act like they don't exist. So those are a couple of things to think about, I think. Let's talk about some basics. Learning management systems, what are they and how can teachers use a learning management system effectively? This is probably something where <laughs> if you're teaching remotely, if you're not as familiar with your learning management system, I'll bet you're probably getting a lot more familiar with it. <laughs> so you've got a wide variety of different things. These are those programs that are developed to, they're basically like your classroom workflow. And so you've got some simpler ones like Google Classroom. You know, Google Classroom is about as bare bones as it gets. It lets you create assignments, assign them, collect stuff, grade, put feedback on it and give it back. So it's like pretty simple. And then you go all the way up to way more complex things like Canvas and Schoology and Blackboard that have a whole bunch of built-in bells and whistles that you can add to your assignments. You've got like forums where your students can interact just a whole host of things. I've found that when it comes to learning management systems, there are a handful of things that when we do learning that are, that are pretty important that even the basic ones have. And so one of them is posts and assignments. Within your learning management system, you're able to post something that students can access and then announcements where you can just get important information out. Secondly, of course, you've got assignments. You know, this is where you assign work, collect work, grade work, and get it back. And this is the main channel that class flows through. But then there's also places for us to give feedback. And of course, our feedback is going to be way different when we're working remotely. I think we have to be more explicit in our language. And we have to make sure that we're clear and precise. But there's lots of ways to give feedback through private communication channels like email or private comments, through making comments on students' documents and everything. And then there's also a place to post materials. So, you know, you've got like your materials hub or your class website or wherever. So if students need to be able to access those materials, that's a place that you can go. Really, that's kind of like the, the heartbeat and the lifeblood of the day-to-day -day operation of the class in remote setting is using that learning management system for some of those, those key things. Designing quality instruction is what great teachers do, and they do it every day face-to-face -face in, in yeah. brick-and-mortar schools. How can a teacher take what they already know about delivering great instruction and bridge that into doing the same thing but via distance? That's really the big challenge that a lot of people are having is, I know what I do face-to-face. -face. The knee-jerk reaction is to ask the follow-up question, can I just do that online? And I think a lot of people are finding that most of the time the answer is mm, not exactly. Or if we do, it doesn't turn out so great. So then as we're trying to figure out the, 
if it doesn't translate so well online, what do we do? You know, if that's the next question, and I think that is the logical next question, then I think it's time to go back to some of those basics of just good instructional design. Now, when I say that word instructional design, I hope that people didn't just turn the podcast off and and go away because this doesn't have to be like a dense pedagogical textbook from from college because really designing good lessons is something that you've probably always done. And some of the stuff you just might not have thought of explicitly. For instance, having something engaging that draws students in at the beginning that gets them to answer the question, why do I need to learn this? Why do I want to learn this? And sometimes getting this part right makes all the difference in remote learning, especially when we have so many competing distractions and competing interests that students can turn to while they're at home. Another one that is big is giving students the opportunity to explore whatever it is that you're learning, to try to take it on on their own. It's so easy for us to get up in front of students and talk. We talk, they listen. Or maybe even just tell them, go read that chapter, go read that book. But if we give them an opportunity to explore things on their own, sometimes they're able to stumble upon what we want them to learn on their own and they feel like they've learned it themselves instead of being forced on them. Another one has to do with practicing skills. If there's a certain skill that needs some repetition to get the hang of, for instance, learning your periodic table of elements, there's sort of a memorization side of that, or picking out parts of speech or doing math problems or something, finding ways to get those repetitions. in so they have that long-term learning. Anyway, you know, a lot of these things are the kinds of things that we've done before, but I think we've got to step back and kind of think of this is how it looked in person. Why did it work? Because it was in person. And then how can we try to adapt that for, for online? And I think when, we, when we're able to really think deeply about that, I think we can come up with some good answers. I agree. I hope that that's the outcome of this, is that we can take great instruction and do it different. Obviously, access to internet is a huge concern. There's a wide range of bandwidths available in homes, and it varies by how much families can pay and, and even where they live geographically. Yeah. So how can teachers support learning in homes with either slow internet and devices or even no internet or devices? That's been the big question that I've seen people asking throughout all of this. We start to think, well, hey, if not all of my students have access to the internet, then am I even going to use it? And that's sort of the that's sort of a similar question to another one we've asked in schools about technology, and that is, if I don't have one-to-one devices, how can I have everybody work on them? And the answer is, hey, there are lots of ways to do that. If you have, you know, just a couple of devices in your classroom, then we can make do. And so I think it's a similar thing here. It's we can make do. Kind of like what I was saying about my kids' school, where some of the kids just don't have access to the internet and some of them do. For the ones that do, there's some really cool things we can do when it comes to video and doing Zoom calls, having students create things with their devices. When we do that, there are some things that we can do to optimize that so that it uses as little data as possible. With a lot of families, they're going to run off of a home internet connection, but not everybody works that way. Some of them are doing remote learning through cellular data, which can be limited and of course can be expensive. And so there are a handful of things that I think we can do as teachers to help with slow internet speeds or for the, the kids that are streaming off of cellular data. I'll give you a couple of examples. One of them is whenever we do anything with video, if we limit the resolution on that video, that's huge. 
teachers have probably done Google Meets or Zooms or whatever with their students, a lot of times there are settings where if you just click on the little settings gear or go to a settings button or little three dots or something, you can find the resolution for the video. So in Google Meet, for instance, if you click on the little three dots button and then you go into settings, there's an option to change the video resolution. You can change it from the standard, like on mine, it says the standard is 720p, which is high definition. And you can change it to 360p, which is standard definition. And just by doing that, students don't have to try to stream a high definition video call. And so if they can go in and change that, and if you can go in and change that, if everybody starts to do that, then we're starting to use less and less data. If you're recording video for your students, there are also ways to do that too. And I've also found that if you're recording video for your students and your first impulse is to record it on your cell phone, be careful. Because <laughs> I know on my cell phone in particular, it likes to record 720 or 1080p high definition. And those files get huge. And they're so hard for students to stream onto their devices. And so I like to suggest to um, record with video tools that are optimized for playback on the web. And there's a couple of those I really like. One of them is Screencastify. If you go to screencastify.com, it's an extension you can install in your Google Chrome web browser to record video. You can record video of yourself and your webcam. Uh, you can record your screen or you can record a combination. And Screencastify, again, if you go into the little gear and you look for your resolution, you can find ways to make that file much smaller so students can load it easier. And then a second one is Flipgrid. Of course, if you go to flipgrid.com, this is a video response tool. And if you sign up for a teacher account, there's a little tab up at the top called Shorts. The Shorts camera is the one that you can use as a teacher to record short videos for your students. And what's nice about it is they record it in a way that it takes less time to upload and it also streams onto your students' devices in a way that's easier to download. Just by doing some of those things, it makes the slow internet issue a little bit less of an issue. I think that benefits both teachers and students because a lot of teachers, if they're working from home, same sort of issue that they might run into. I, my home internet connection is a lot slower than my school one. So a lot of the videos mm -hmm. I do, I've been doing at school just for sake of, of smoothness, but perhaps if I'd restricted the, some of those settings, I, I could have been doing it a bit slicker. That could be. I've also found too, with having three kids at home doing e-learning that whenever we get all of those devices on the same internet router, oh my yeah. goodness, it slows things down. And yeah. I can only imagine yeah. with some of those kids out there, if they've got multiple siblings and everybody's trying to use the internet at the same time, especially if there's like a class Zoom call going on or something, whew, that gets tough. Building community and social connection, it's a major part of what teachers do. And, I, and that's what I've heard a lot is that the teachers are missing the social connection. I know students are missing it as well. Yeah. So how as teachers, how can we still have that community and class culture and the social part of learning, even though we're not meeting face to face? I have found just by being connected to some educator communities like on Twitter and Facebook and all of that, just by watching what people are coming up with gives me the best ideas. You know, I mean, haven't you seen some of the amazing things that they've done to stay in contact with their students or to build their students up? You know, you see teachers that will go put little signs in their kids' yards or go drop off little snacks for them or something, keeping their distance, of course. I've seen parades. A friend of mine was telling me that there's a school district in Texas 
that is going to rent out the, and again, I, I can't, I haven't confirmed this, so I'm just going to tell this as a story and we'll see how accurate it is. They've rented out the Texas Motor Speedway for graduation. And what they're going to do is have the kids keep their distance and walk in their caps and gowns. And all of the parents are going to park in their cars and sit in their cars during graduation and watch it all happen on the Jumbotron. Ways to build that community, like, of course, you don't have to be a big school district and rent out the Texas Motor Speedway to do this. There are definite ways that we can make this happen. One of the things that I've seen so many teachers do so well is that they're not making this all about the content and all about the curriculum. We think about schools and the role that schools play, the multiple roles that schools play. And one of them that I think we take for granted a lot is the social component. Kids are at school and teachers are at school and kids get to socialize with their classmates and then they go home. But when that isn't available anymore, it's not like, oh, that was just something extra that was fun for them and is no big deal. That's an important role that school plays. So how can we continue to do that? I've seen little things from scheduling class Zoom calls and letting the kids talk instead of it just being a one-way lecture from the teacher. I've seen teachers setting up Flipgrid topics where they can record their video replies to a prompt and just setting up a prompt that says, how are things going? What are you doing? Just check in with us. And then kids are able to record that. And then what that starts to do is it lets kids see each other's faces and hear each other's voices. And it starts to fill some of that void. And it starts to also answer some of those lingering questions that they might not actively ask, but they're still wondering like, are my friends okay? And, you know, are they still healthy? Are they getting by? Are they doing okay? Um, so I think there, you know, there are little things like that that we can do. And I think we start to see that those little things aren't really little things. Those are the big things. Those are the things that the kids especially need right now. So anything that we as teachers can do to, to, to take care of that relationship side of things and make those connections, that may be one of the most important things we can do for our students right now. We are on the Teaching Literacy Podcast, so Matt, I can't let you get away without talking at least a little bit about reading and writing. Yes. What ideas or tips do you have about doing anything with reading and or writing uh, using technology or, or distance methods? One of the pieces of the um, the free Remote Learning 101 course that, that I created was learning ideas that use no internet. So I made a little graphic for that, and I think there's 10 ideas that I give about how to use no internet. And the first one very much on purpose was just to read. I picked up on a lot of the research around this working on my book, Ditch That Homework. This was written by a uh, co-author, Alice Keeler and I, me as a Spanish teacher, her as a math teacher, finding that our homework was not getting the intended results that we had hoped. And we started to realize that the amount of results we were getting paled in comparison to the amount of frustration and effort we were putting into homework. So we wrote this whole book about if you want to do something different, if you're not getting the results out of your homework and you want to do something different, what do you do? And that was one of the big points I made in one of the chapters is all of the research behind the power of independent reading, just kids being able to read what they're interested in reading, not because it's for a grade, not because a teacher has told them what to read, but just going and doing it. Anything that we can do, I think, to encourage kids to do that. That's like the one thing we found in our review of research when it comes to homework and homework related activities. That was the one thing that we found that had such positive correlation to student achievement 
was independent reading. Anything that we can do there, whether it's letting kids record little book trailers or book reviews on a platform like Flipgrid or having them give their recommendations or book trailers, little book advertisements almost, creating this culture of reading is cool and it's something that I do on my own time because I want to. That one is huge. Another one, as far as writing goes, one of the big things about writing that I know has been helpful for my students in my high school Spanish classes has been getting feedback on their writing and having interaction within their writing. One of the neat ways that I know we can do this through remote learning is to have a collaborative writing space where students are able to see what each other has written and then make comments on it. One of my favorite places to do that is a shared slide presentation. So think of like Google Slides or PowerPoint online. You create this slide presentation and you hit the share button and you get a link that everyone can edit and you just share it out with your students. And then everybody gets their own slide. So if I've got 25 kids, that means I've got 25 slides. Each one has their own slide. They put their name on it and then I give them a prompt and then they can go write. And this has worked really well for me as a world language teacher. And so the kids are able to write, they're able to throw images onto that slide and that's their little bit of real estate. And then everybody else has a little piece of real estate too. And then once they're done writing, the neat thing is that the assignment is only half over because then they're able to jump onto each other's slides and go see what they wrote. And then they can use the comment feature to leave them little uh, comments. And that could be feedback. It could be follow-up questions. It could be just telling them what, you know, what they thought about their, their work. And then again, it's building that community through writing, which I, I've always thought is really cool. So as far as uh, reading and writing, those are the two things that are top of mind for me anyway. So Matt, you just came out with a new book. It was just like last week. What wasn't it like May like fourth or fifth? Mm -hmm. Anyway, you just came out with a new book, Tech mm -hmm. Like a Pirate. Can you give us a sneak peek of what's in there and what teachers can expect? Yes, absolutely. In fact, um, people who aren't familiar with the pirate series of books may hear a title like Tech Like a Pirate and go, "What in the world is that?" You know. Um, so it's a follow up to Dave Burgess's book, Teach Like a Pirate, and. Um, the, the big take-home message for me from Teach Like a Pirate was he wrote this line, and it has echoed in my ears ever since. He says, don't just teach a lesson, create an experience. And so how can you create that memorable learning experience, you know, that's fun or that stands out, that's anything but ordinary? All throughout the book, he gives all of these examples of ideas. He calls them hooks. So there's like the Picasso hook. How can you bring art? You've got the interior design hook. How can you move things around in the room to create an experience? And, you know, there's all of these different hooks. And so from the moment I read that book, I kept seeing ways that technology could create that experience that technology can make things memorable and fun and anything but ordinary. You know, I read that book in 2013. And ever since then, I've just continually been brainstorming ideas of what that might look like with technology. And so, you know, I got the, the privilege of getting to write this book that answers that question. The question of if we want learning to be a memorable experience, can technology help us to do that and how? In the book, I give seven different ways that you can tech like a pirate like pulling cues from social media and making images and shooting videos and doing video calls with virtual guests and just a whole wide variety of things. So that's really the, the aim of the book. I've had a lot of people tell me that the timing of the release of this book was impeccable just because of the remote learning situation where so many, for so many of us, remote learning, online learning has been drudgery. 
if we can find some ways to make it a memorable experience to bring some of that fun back into learning, you know, maybe now is a good time for that. That's really what this book is full of. And so many of the ideas are, are very adaptable to the remote learning setting. Thanks so much, Matt, for joining us on the Teaching Literacy Podcast. We've gotten a good snippet of your remote learning one-on-one course that's free. Mm -hmm. Where can teachers get in touch with you and find your course and other resources? A couple of places. Of course, you can go to ditchthattextbook.com. That's the home base for so much of the stuff that I've got. If you go to the about page, it's got all my social media information. So you can find me there. If you're interested in this book, I was just talking about, I have a page of free resources, whether you get the book or not, there's tons of free resources related to the themes in the book. And that's at techlikeapirate.com. And then if you head to the Ditch That Textbook website, you can also find the free Remote Learning 101 course. There's links to that on my e-learning page. That's an, that's an easy one to find too. So yeah, any of those places is probably the best place. So Matt Miller, final question. What does it mean to be a great teacher? To be a great teacher. I think a great teacher is someone who finds the needs of their students and helps to fill them whether the biggest needs are emotional needs or relationship needs or content needs, trying to fulfill dreams or find their place in the world. I think that a great teacher puts their finger on the needs of students and helps them to achieve them. Matt Miller, thanks for joining us on the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. Wow, what a great conversation. A big thank you to Matt Miller for joining me on the podcast today. Again, we were talking about his Remote Learning 101 course that's available through his website. The link's available in the show notes, but in case those aren't handy, you can just go to ditchthattextbook.com and then click under the Courses tab. I highly recommend the course. I would describe myself as someone familiar with technology, and I had a lot of great takeaways from taking the course. And again, it's free. There's no premium version to it. There's no spammy things related. It's just a free course that Matt Miller's offering to support teachers during COVID-19 and beyond. So go check it out and sharpen your craft over the summer. So here's two cents from me. Number one, the first big takeaway I had from my discussion with Matt is that we're all in this together. On January 1st, 2020, how many people could have predicted that this change, this monumental change would have happened in education? I certainly didn't see this coming. So the larger point in the discussion I have with Matt is that everyone has had to figure things out because of COVID-19. And there's been a spirit of camaraderie present in the last few months of an education, and I feel that's been really inspiring. But we're not out of the woods yet. Schools will be out for summer in the next few weeks, but it's becoming clear that fall might not be business as usual. I think we would all do well to think critically about what technology affords for effective instruction and how we can mitigate any drawbacks or limitations of using technology. In the end, I don't think it will be technology that saves us. I think it's going to be dang good teaching that's going to help best support our students. And that's how it always is. My second big takeaway from my conversation with Matt was logistics, logistics, logistics. One of my favorite quotes goes along the lines of this. Amateurs study strategy while masters study logistics. I'm not sure where I picked that quote up. I think it's from an old History of Rome podcast episode. If I were to say what that looks like in our situation, though, I think this quote means 
If we only focus on making great online lessons, our efforts will not be enough. We've got to figure out the logistics of delivering how to get our instruction to our students. Students with working parents whose parents aren't home all the time. Students with ha have a lot of money stress in the home. Students that have slow or no internet or that have poor devices or no devices. Matt gave a lot of great ideas about supporting the students where they're at. And in many cases, figuring out the logistics of moving an entire class, school, or district online has been actually more daunting than designing the actual instruction. Things like getting devices into homes, things like finding families the bandwidth to support online programs, figuring out whether the program itself can support having so many users on at once, finding the most effective ways to communicate across a system. These have all been thorny, wide-scale issues that everyone's dealing with at the same time. We would do well to iron out these logistics the very best we can, because in the end, it's those logistics, if we can smooth those out, that are going to best support the actual delivery of instruction by teachers. That is all I have for you this week. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you heard today, feel free to share this episode with a colleague. I appreciate your time listening to the podcast. I want you to stay healthy and have some great instruction and a restful and relaxing summer when that comes. And until next time, let's just go and teach literacy just a little bit better. And be healthy. Thanks for listening to our conversation today. Remember to check out the show notes for more details. If you have feedback or a show idea, feel free to email me at teachingliteracypodcast at gmail.com. This is Jake with the Teaching Literacy Podcast, and until next time, let's go and teach literacy just a little bit better. <laughs>